Hello, welcome to the Cartography Podcast. This episode will be an update about coronavirus. So I thought we would start the episode by talking about the Robert Malone episode of Joe Rogan. Uh, I think everybody, or at least a lot of people saw this episode and it got a lot of people talking. It's been pretty controversial. And I think it sort of penetrated the mainstream in a way that a lot of these ideas hadn't uh, prior. Of course, like our circle talks about this stuff a lot, but it seems like more normal people haven't quite gotten around to this information yet. Let's put it that way. For sure. And I do think that episode was hugely influential for obvious reasons. I mean, of course, Joe Rogan has a huge audience. Again, probably many of them would already have been exposed to to these um, ideas or these critical questions that are have been raised in the sort of the podcast universe um, with regard to coronavirus vaccines and lockdowns, et cetera. But I think there is uh, obviously a huge amount of weight to the idea that the doctor who, you know, apparently invented like claims to has the individual claim on having invented the mRNA vaccine technology itself uh, to come out and uh, essentially raise the alarm that, uh, uh, you know, this may be a a problem. Of course, that's going to have a a huge effect. And um, so that that's a really fascinating thing that, that happened recently. I guess like my first observation about it was he was incredibly well spoken and rehearsed. Uh, like I know he's been doing a bunch of podcast interviews over the last year. I know he's been on Steve Bannon's show a ton, probably like every week. I think he's been on Alex Jones's show. So he's really been doing like the the media rounds. So mm-hmm. I think that that could explain a little bit of why he was so polished. But like, did that uh, trigger anything for you? Like just, just how well-spoken he was? Well, I mean... I, again, I would expect nothing less from a a figure, you know, I mean, he's probably, especially now, uh, one of the most famous and influential doctors in the, in the world. Um, I wouldn't expect him to, to be any, any differently, you know, to speak any differently than that. Um, again, to me, you know, watching him, it was the only thing that I was seeing that was new was just that, you know, that there was a figure of this magnitude who was able and willing to come out publicly and say all these things uh, with the the uh, weight of, of his expertise. So I think how he really got started, I think the origin story of him going public was on Brett Weinstein's podcast. I think he came on with Steve Kirsch, who's like a figure in Silicon Valley. I think he invented like the optical mouse or something like that. I think they did like a super long podcast with Brett Weinstein and then that sort of like brought him into the public. But yeah, I don't know. I just like when I was watching it, he just felt super polished to me. And then it, it was almost like the story is like too perfect. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. so he had this nice long career at DARPA and then he just wants to go retire into the woods and raise horses on his ranch in Virginia, you know? Yeah. So like, was there anything about that to you that seemed like maybe there's like something else going on here? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that question always needs to be asked, uh, without, you know, indulging too much in, in paranoia. 
um, which for sure that, that those kinds of paths can, can take you there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's always an obvious reason to be suspicious of somebody who is a whistleblower because, uh, I, I mean, right off the bat, their behavior is an anomaly, you know? So, so if you're thinking of it in terms of like what most people do versus what this guy's doing, of course, like it's strange that anybody who has benefited so much from that power structure would, uh, speak out against its, its ends. At the same time, I think there are also some pretty clear and obvious reasons why people uh, would do something like that, especially when, you know, I mean, there are plenty of cases of whistleblowers who have uh, come out at, at, at huge cost to their uh, careers, their personal lives, and ultimately their physical safety in many cases. Uh, and, and so I guess in a way when someone has achieved such heights, you know, and really kind of can put that rubber stamp on their life and say, wow, I really, you know, rose to the top of this field. And I mean, why not retire to a horse ranch and then come out and, and, you know, um, I think maybe one of the most famous examples of something like that in American history is uh, Smedley Butler. Do you know who that is? No. So this is a really good little tangent. I think it's very relevant. Smedley Butler was uh, before World War II the most decorated United States Marine in American history. Uh, I believe he only ever attained the rank of lieutenant colonel. I could be wrong about that. But, uh, you know, he was a, a, a pretty high-ranking Marine officer, and he served all throughout the, the early 20th century uh, colonial wars in Latin America, and uh, he served uh, with distinction in World War I. But he's famous because he wrote a, uh, a, a book called War is a Racket, in which he details, you know, in very honest and blunt terms, just basically exactly what the title of that book would, would lead you to believe. And, and he was very frank about the role that he played in all of these things and that, you know, the, the, the sort of... Um, propaganda, which is put out there about, in, in this case, war, uh, is very different from what he experienced. And so, you know, I don't, it doesn't surprise me when somebody goes Smedley Butler is what I would, what I would say there. I see. So like one, another thing that I noticed, like right in the beginning of the interview, he established his connections to the intelligence community. Like mm -hmm. one of the first things he said was that he co-authored a paper with some guy from the CIA uh, mm -hmm. about something or other. I don't remember exactly. Yep. But, you know, it's interesting when you're watching people like this, like, and Brett Weinstein makes me feel this way, Eric Weinstein, um, Daniel Schmachtenberger, like some of these people who are really uh, intentional about every single word that they use, like, you can't help but feel that they're trying, like, intentionally trying to push some agenda, you know? Like, yeah, it's just like with a lot of these people, like you could just recognize like that there's levels of intelligence. Right. And and specifically with him, I felt that I wasn't able to like really get a good read on what he was trying to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I suppose you, you sort of expect a little bit more. 
I mean, again, it could be explained by the fact that he's he's kind of come to a point in his career. I don't know how exactly this affected his career or how retired he is or what exactly is the story with uh, Dr. Malone. But, you know, you again, you could see how when someone sort of is done, you know, they would be less hesitant about something like this. And they would like I would expect the general sort of whistleblower, you know, the 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 image in your head is someone who's kind of like passionate, maybe a bit scared, you know, maybe like, because they, they understand that they're taking a huge risk. Um, and for sure, I mean, I think that these questions need to be asked, you know, every public figure who's given a large enough public forum and goes on talking about their expertise. I mean, I just think you should be at least a little bit, if not suspicious, then skeptical of that. You know, you should just like maintain healthy skepticism about anyone who's trying too hard to tell you anything. Yeah, I'm not suggesting that he's trying to intentionally mislead people or entrap people into anything. I just think that it's somewhat revealing that there might be at least a couple factions of people within the power struggle, like Mm -hmm. domestically and globally at this point, that Mm -hmm. might be moving in opposite directions. The fact that he mentioned like his connection to the CIA, it just seems to me like you would only why would you do that? He's smart enough where it wasn't like something that he like, Oh, I'm just going to like mention this, you know, like he did it on purpose. So then the question I think is why. I also think it could be just because like he, he has a clear interest in, in establishing himself as someone who is uh, an insider, you know? So whether that be by dropping the fact that he invented the mRNA vaccine or like any of his sort of resume that he, that he went through uh, or dropping high level connections to the, I mean, I think any of it, any of those kinds of things, definitely uh, they, they can play that role. They can fulfill that purpose of, of establishing credibility. Um, Given the fact that he knows that the message that he's putting out there is most people are going to be, uh, skeptical of that, they're going to have a hard time accepting. Well, in relevance to the idea that there might be a couple different factions, what do you no. think of the idea that he might be representing the interests of, say, the CIA or some other faction? Well, I guess it depends on what those interests would be. Um, and again, as you point out, you know, it's not necessarily clear that the CIA or any other institution is always functioning in lockstep. I think, especially with something like the CIA, especially after uh, you know some of the events that have been made public, I think most notably the Iran Contra scandal, um, it's it's very clear that at the very least it's possible for there to be elements within an intelligence agency like the CIA uh, that you know e- either based on official omission or denial or just the reality of the situation, like they may not, all of their activities may be known about by the leadership of that institution. They may not be sanctioned, um, at least not fully. That said, I don't know how much, like how useful I find it to focus on this idea that there may be some kind of like, you know, rogue element within an intelligence agency that is actually like, kind of trying to fight the good fight and save the country. I feel like I've seen that narrative, like that idea uh, floating around lately. Of course, QAnon comes to mind. I don't know anything about QAnon, so I don't want to like 
make any judgments about that. But uh, I guess it, it could very well be true, right? Like I don't see any reason to think that there wouldn't be somebody like that um, because certainly uh, it is, I know from personal experience, uh, 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 probably the majority of people who end up in that kind of intelligence community, you know, for sure you could call them patriots. Uh, at least they see themselves that way. Now, whether or not that agency generally behaves patriotically, you know, I, I leave it to, to whoever wants to define patriotism. But I guess in the aggregate, like to me, the, a term like CIA or intelligence agencies, you know, I feel like they've always presented much more of a danger to, uh, in, in our case, the American people than they have, you know, worked to, to kind of to our benefit. It would be logical to bring up. Uh, the January 6th insurrection at this point, but I, I don't want to get too into that. Interestingly enough, though, on Joe Rogan's show last week, he had on former National Security Advisor McMaster. Do you yeah, remember him? I, I, I did listen to some of that. Did you see the part where he showed him the video of Ray Epps? Yes, I did. I did hear that part. I didn't watch that, but I, I wish I, that I had watched it so I could have seen the look on his face. It was fascinating, though, because he first, at first tries to deny it and say, like, oh, that doesn't that doesn't sound yep, right. He said something like yeah, that doesn't he, sound he right. He said that doesn't sound right. And then his final take was like, oh, this this could be like the work of the Russians or something. Like, yeah. Totally yeah. incoherent. Yeah. Like, <laughs> And the thing is, I think it's perfectly plausible that somebody like that might actually believe that, you know, that that may very well coincide with his experience. Uh, like, I, I don't necessarily think that based on his uh, official kind of level in that power structure that he's, you know, super plugged into whatever covert operations. I think they, they kind of keep the whole covert community very well, um, pretty well isolated. I mean, I, I don't know how much people know, like the extent to which since 9-11, the, um, the special operations community has expanded within the military. It's like hugely, you know, uh, a huge sort of shift in military focus and resources it is this like massive shift to uh, joint special operations units, joint meaning like across military services. And that that is, uh, I think, you know, for whatever it's worth, I mean, it, does, it proves nothing, of course, but those communities, th those types of units have always, uh, for the most part, acted as recruiting pipelines for intelligence agencies. I brought this up because I thought it would be interesting because like the one piece of the puzzle that really hasn't been figured out yet is the origin of the virus. So like we're relatively certain that it came from the lab in Wuhan. And just recently... If you'd like to hear the rest of this conversation, please subscribe to the Cartography Podcast at patreon.com.